Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is our November book club episode featuring The Christmas Orphans Club by Becca Freeman, who we have here exclusively (laughs) to talk about the book. Who you have not been able to get rid of. And we got some really great voicemail questions. So I'm really excited to go through all of those as well. I'm really excited too. I know some people feel like I've been talking about this nonstop for the past three years, which I have been, but I'm excited to talk more candidly in this episode and be able to like, this is the only time we're going to do spoilers and chat about everything. Yeah. And I just want to say, I just listened to all of them. And sometimes when we are recording this episode with voicemails, we don't actually stop while we're recording and listen to them. So we don't reply to like, when people say like, love the podcast, thanks for what you guys do. So I just want to say, if you've ever called in and left a message and said like, you know, thanks so much or love the podcast, have listened for all this time. It just always means so much. And just a blanket thank you to all of you. Yeah, it it is so easy to forget that there are other people on the other side of this recording because we're just sitting here on Zoom. So whenever somebody writes in on voicemail or sends me a message about something I said on the podcast, it always makes me so happy. It just like, it's a glimmer. It is. Let's get into some highs and lows first though. So what's your high? My high is that I got a cute new haircut. It looks great. I cut it short. I then got hundreds of messages asking me if it's because short hair is chuggy. I did anticipate that. I was wondering. I don't know. No, that's not why I did it. It was probably in the back of my head because, yeah, of course I want to be young and hip and cool. Actually, Olivia, it was probably this photo that you and I took when you were in the city and my hair just looked so scraggly. And every time I did my hair, even if I put in effort and like actually did it, I just I felt like it looked so it looked like straw. So it really does look good, though. The thank cut. you. So I wanted to declare hair bankruptcy and I cut off so much. I used to have hair that was above my shoulders in college in my early 20s. So I'm kind of not that afraid of cutting my hair off because I know what I look like with that length of hair. But I feel fun and sassy. Yeah, I love it. I'm getting a haircut in a few weeks. And honestly, the ends of my hair, it's not good. So I may follow you. Who knows? I may copy you. Ooh, we can both be young and hip. So that's one half of my high. And then the other half of my high is that my friend Rachel on Saturday threw a little get together and we played cheesy holiday movie bingo, which was so she made bingo cards like you can't buy them. She just, you know, came up with the categories. And then I think online we've used this for bad on paper. I think if you just Google like make bingo cards, there's like a service that you can do it and it randomizes the cards. Oh my gosh, it was so funny. We watched this terrible Tiffany Amber Thiessen holiday movie that was, it was like very family friendly and then also kind of had a like magical Santa Claus vibe to it. Mm, And then we watched what the internet said was the best Hallmark holiday movie. And it was called An Unexpected Christmas with Bethany Joy Lenz from One Tree Hill. And this guy, Tyler Haynes, who I guess is like just a Hallmark hottie. It was good. Like the acting was good. There were good parts to it. The male love interest, like there was, I don't know that he was ultimately super redeemable. Mm. Well, I mean, it's Hallmark Christmas movies. So no, this one was, this one was spicier, not spicy sex wise, but you know, they were drinking and like, oh wow. So was it Hallmark or was it Lifetime? No, it was Hallmark. It was Hallmark, but it was definitely Mm. more edgy. 
than the usual okay. Hallmark movie. No sex, but... Okay. Well, of course. There's, it's a sexless Hallmark channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds really fun. Yeah, it was so fun. What is your high? My high is that Jake and I did not go anywhere for Thanksgiving for once. We stayed home. We didn't do anything. We didn't even really cook. I basically just wrote all weekend and kind of just like puttered around the house. Uh, We went to like a little flea market thing. It was just great. Like to have no obligations for four days was amazing. It was great. Wonderful. Highly, highly, highly suggest if anyone in the future is like, should I do something for Thanksgiving? Or should I be by myself? I, I just, I liked it a lot. I love that for you. I accidentally ended up in a similar boat. Which brings us to your low yeah. I'm seeing on this outline. What is your low? What happened? So my original Thanksgiving plans got canceled. So I was supposed to go to Pennsylvania to have Thanksgiving with my friend Elizabeth's family. And she called me on Wednesday and was like, bad news. I have COVID. So, oh no. Yeah. So I ended up not going, but Rachel and our friend Carly were already going to do like an orphan Thanksgiving thing in the city. So I I crashed that. I brought pie and wine, store bought pie. So I didn't really contribute to the cooking, but it was so nice. And it was really easy to like not actually have to get dressed. I wore sweatpants. I walked three blocks and I. That sounds perfect. Yeah, it was great. No travel Lovely. involved. What was your low? Milo is, I mean, it's not really that, that much of a low because I'm kind of choosing this, but I had like big plans in my brain of decorating for Christmas and I just don't feel like doing it. We're traveling for Christmas and for New Year's, we're going to be gone for a while. And I'm just like, I don't know. I threw some wreaths up and the stockings are up. But like, other than that, I just think it's not the year. I don't even think we're going to get the tree out this year, which is kind of crazy for me, but it just seems like too much. So... I feel that. I've definitely had years like that where I feel like the effort of putting up decorations just feels too much. Yeah. But next year, next year, more to look forward to next year. I mean, hopefully this is your forever house. So you have many Christmases to come in this house to make magical. Yes, I hope so. Well, let's take a quick little ad break and get into this episode. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we head into the holiday season, it can be so easy to spend all day focused on finding the perfect gifts or finishing up Q4 work goals. By the time you get into bed at night, you're left with all those things you didn't get to address or work through during the day, things like anxiety or stress in particular. Your mind can race and it can make falling asleep difficult no matter how tired you are. That's why therapy can be so helpful. It's built in regular time to make sure your mental health isn't being pushed aside during the busiest season. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. In the past, therapy has been one of my mental health touchstones when I feel myself falling into old patterns and having trouble falling asleep at night or dealing with racing anxious thoughts. It makes getting back to a good place feel that much easier. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash bad on paper today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash bad on paper. So, before we get into this, 
there is a spoiler warning. We're going to talk about the ending. We're going to talk about reveals. So if you haven't read this book and you want to read this book, and I hope you do, this might not be the episode to listen to. So heads up that there are spoilers. We will never again talk about spoilers about this book. I've had a lot of people DM me to be like, do you talk about the ending on the podcast? Because if so, I don't want to listen. And so I, I feel like I've accidentally created instead of more people coming, I feel like people aren't listening because they're afraid we're going to spoil it. And I'm like, no, my goal is to sell books. So I, I'm never talking about the ending except for right now. So to start, let's do the summary. Would you like me to read it? Or would you like to read the summary for the book that you wrote? I can read it. I feel like I would feel uncomfortable having it read back to me, to be honest. I'm having a lot of book anxiety today. <laughs> I get it. So Hannah and Finn have spent every Christmas together since college. Neither of them has anywhere else to go. Hannah's parents both died, and Finn's disowned him when he came out. Their tradition of offbeat holiday adventures only grows more outrageous with time. When the pair starts their adult lives in New York City, they add stylish Priya and mysterious Theo to their group, solidifying a found family and sense of belonging that they've always craved. But now, when Finn announces a move to L.A., this Christmas may be their last together. Hannah is terrified of losing the family she's built for herself, even as her boyfriend nudges her towards commitment. Meanwhile, Finn struggles with the things he's about to leave behind, namely his unexpressed feelings for Theo. Does growing up mean growing apart? This Christmas, the changes these friends fear may be exactly what they need. All right. So I did this outline and I started with some questions for me that are just things that I'm interested in. And we're going to do questions from listeners for the second half with lots of voicemails, some great variety in there. So we're giving you a little bit of everything. I'm sitting in my Santa suit, my red sweatsuit, and I'm burning a holiday candle and I have the book right here. So we're really... Oh, wait. Hold on. Hold on a moment. I also have a Santa Claus mug. Oh my goodness. You're really putting me to shame. I have nothing Christmassy around me except for my Christmas tree is in the corner. I'm really leaning into the vibes, not the decorations this year, but the vibes. Anyway. Okay. So first question I want to ask you is very, very specific. Can you remember the very first day you sat down to write this book? Or if you can't, the first scene you wrote? I can kind of remember. So I know that it was in December of 2020. I'm pretty sure it was in that week between Christmas and New Year's. And I'd been thinking about this book idea probably for two weeks, so not for that long, but it had been (laughs) circling. And I finally was so excited about it that I had to sit down and write it. And the first scene that I wrote is what is now chapter one. So the book didn't have a prologue until later. And so, yeah, what is chapter one is actually the first thing I wrote. Do you think you had any idea what was ahead of you? No. I also <laughs> I also don't think I would have been able to do it. I am a big believer. I think this with the podcast too, that it's like kind of best to go into something with a lot of enthusiasm and being really naive. Because if you know how hard it's going to be, it's scary. It's, it's daunting. And how long it takes. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty overwhelming. Okay. I have another question, which is just selfishly for me. And it's inspired by one of my favorite podcasts, which is the Writer's Routine podcast. The first question the host always asks in his British accent is, what do you see around you? (laughs) Sorry. You have to keep going. Okay. What do you see around you when you sit down to write? That's actually a really good impression of him. 
<laughs> he's literally just like playing in my brain at all times. So yes, give us the details of what you're looking at, what you were looking at on this first day in December when you sat down to write The Christmas Orphans Club. Probably nothing is the answer. <laughs> so the way that my writing process works is that it starts very clean. And then the further I get into it, the more junk and stuff is around me. So probably that day I was just sitting at my clean kitchen island just writing a few pages. Here I am right now having just finished or getting into the the second draft of my second book. There's post-it notes everywhere. I have four notebooks on this table. There's piles of books. I have a pen cup that I've created on my dining room table because there were too many pens. There's like a sticky note outline on the wall. Like it looks like a serial killer lives here. (laughs) But at the beginning, there was nothing. So I really accumulate throughout the drafting process. So as you start to like believe it's real, you kind of more goes into it, I guess. No, I like I need more stuff because I'm like, oh, well, I have this notebook for this and I need this book nearby and I need seven colors of pens and... Like it just becomes as it becomes, as it becomes real, I yeah. guess, is, is my, my yeah. point. Yeah. So in that initial drafting process, when you were just writing on your own, no editor, no agent, what, if you can recall, was your single biggest high and your single biggest low? Okay. So my single biggest high was when surprising things happened because I didn't outline. I knew the setup of you know, Hannah and Finn were two people that didn't have anywhere else to go on Christmas. And they were going to meet one night in college. And then they were going to have these Christmases together. I knew at the midpoint, they were going to have a huge fight. I knew that the fight was because Hannah kissed Theo. And I knew at the end, how everyone was going to end up together relationship wise, but not plot wise. And there were all of these moments that I don't know where it came from, but like something surprising would happen. Like I knew, I knew that Theo was bisexual or pansexual, didn't only like men. And I was like, okay, it's going to be revealed in this scene. And then all of a sudden Clementine, this like fake singer appeared and I was like, oh, (laughs) this is fun. And there was no forethought. Like it just popped up on the page and that was really fun and delightful. Or like another example is like, I was like, okay. And then Theo takes her shopping for presents. And what happens next? I was like, they're going to go to the Olive Garden in Times Square. Like just (laughs) things that I wasn't planning, but came up and really surprised and delighted me. That was definitely the high. It was like almost just entertaining myself. It is delightful. It's like such a, it's like reading a book. It's like, oh, it went there. Who Who knew? knew? (laughs) Um, The low, I don't know if you experienced this. I spun out so hard about tenses and POV and figuring out what tense and whether it should be first person or third person POV so hard during my first draft of this book. I feel like I switched back and forth probably every combination. And I it's read, so confusing. I read stupid things online that were like, some people won't even read a book if it's in first person present. And I was like, huh, but that's what feels most natural to me. And like, so now I have to write it in third person past. I think that it was, you know, freaking out over something that was right in front of me and that I could articulate and control. 
but I wrestled with what tense this book should be in so hard. And not that I don't think it's important, but I think it was like a stupid distraction. Well, it's one of those things where the more you think about it, like the more confusing it becomes. Oh yeah. Like Like when you say a word so many times, you're like, is this a word now? Where if you're reading a book, like I never once really even think about it. (laughs) You're just in it. So I have been there and I totally relate to that. Did you have any other lows? I'm sure I did. I feel like in some ways it's like childbirth where it has, because of the result, somebody has like waved the wand over the hard parts and they're easier to forget. One of my goals as a spoiler for next year is I think I want to start keeping a process journal so that I have a better sense of my day-to-day mental state and the struggles that I'm encountering and when I'm encountering them so that when I'm in another book and I am feeling this way, I can look back and be like, how was I feeling at this point in my previous book? Yeah. I think you've listened to this episode, but Danya Kukovka, who wrote Notes on an Execution, has a process journal and she keeps track of how many hours she works every day. And then she adds them all up at the end of a book. And I'm like, I feel like that's a really cool thing to keep track of. So I, I've, heard, a lot. I've heard that and that's not quite what I want to do. I feel like it's more like my emotional and mental highs and lows. Mm. Well, that's good too. Yeah. So what were some ways that you made sure that each character had their own voice in this story? Was it difficult to make sure that each was prioritized and well-rounded in their own way and given the space that they needed to have on the page? Oh, yeah. It was definitely really hard because, you know, when you have multiple POVs, you basically cut the book in half. So you have two POVs, so they each get half the page space. And then in mine, there's a past or present timeline. So it's like, in each one, you almost get like a quarter of a book to actually make it land. So I feel like that was really hard. I guess I kind of thought of the two POV characters, Hannah and Finn, I kind of almost thought of them as like grumpy sunshine from a romance. Obviously, they weren't romantically <laughs> involved, but you know, she was the grumpy one. And I don't know that he was sunshine, but he was definitely funnier and more down and used a lot of sarcasm and humor to deflect. So I was kind of thinking of them that way. This is really silly, and I don't know if it even made any difference to anyone but me. But one specific thing I did was in Hannah's speech, I tried to cut as many adverbs as possible. But in Finn's speech, I left a lot of them. So he would say, like, clearly, blah, 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 or obviously, where he has a much more like flippant oh, that's really interesting. way of speaking versus the way she was speaking was a little more direct. Huh. I love that. Was that something you did in like a second or third draft or from the get-go? Were you thinking about the adverbs and the Oh no, the it was like, tone? it was a much later draft. And I realized that I had a lot of adverbs in there because that's how I would speak. So it'd be like clearly blah, 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 or obviously. And, and so there, in the dialogue, especially a lot of them had that. And I was, you know, I think it's like a writerly rule to like cut as many adverbs as possible. And then I was like, well, I kind of feel like Finn would speak this way. So Mm -hmm. I cut them out of hers, but left them in his. So how did you choose how many Christmases you wanted to feature? Because I feel like you could go a lot of different directions and you chose the specific number of, it's 11, right? It's 11. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is a lot. And did you know before writing what would happen during each of them? I imagine like because there's so many, it would be helpful to have them sort of outlined. But no, how, how was that for you? Well, <laughs> so I basically figured out how many Christmases there were based on math. So I knew that I wanted them to meet in college. And I wanted to set it at BC, which is my alma mater. And I thought that having them meet at this really formative time when they didn't have work or they weren't fully formed humans was really important. So I knew I wanted them to meet in college. I feel like for a lot of people in your 20s, you have this second coming of age where you're like figuring stuff out and, you know, everyone's in the same boat. And then all of a sudden, you know, people start to get married and people start to move away and people start to have, you know, competing pressures on their time. And it goes from your friends are the most important people in your life to all of a sudden people start disappearing. And so I really wanted to look at that time. And so I wanted to make them around 30. And so I just did, okay, if they meet when they're 19, 30 minus 19 is 11. But I had no idea what happened on the Christmases. And just every time I got to a new Christmas, I would just have to figure something out. Like I knew some of them, like I wanted them to be in the parade. I really thought that there was a Macy's Christmas Day parade. And I don't think there is. It's only Thanksgiving. I think there's a parade in Disney, maybe, that's like on TV for Christmas. I don't know. I was really convinced that there was a Macy's Christmas Day parade <laughs> and there wasn't. And then I was like, is somebody going to make me Missed cut opportunity, this out? Really. I freaked out about that too. So I knew that was one of them. I didn't have a plan. I kind of just every time I was like, okay, what would they do? And like some of the things were real. And then some of the things I just completely made up, like, I'm sure there is a Christmas escape room, but I just totally made up like <laughs> what would be the most awkward place for these two people who aren't speaking to be. But no, I found that part really fun. So on a, I guess on a more serious note, um, <laughs> the book features themes of loss in a lot of different ways, you know, losing loved ones or, you know, being rejected from your family and losing them in that way. But I wouldn't say it's ever really sad, although, you know, it's obviously full of emotion, full of heart which I think is kind of the perfect balance for a Christmas book because no one wants to be like crying uh, (laughs) during the holidays. Like I feel like there's enough stressful stuff going on. I'm wondering how you struck that balance when you were writing. I think it was probably much more depressing in the earlier drafts. I think some of the fun came in later because I was like, ooh, I'm going to make this more Christmassy and fun. (laughs) It's a little depressing. I think Hannah was more negative and sharper, meaner in earlier drafts. So it was definitely something that got worked on throughout it. But I felt it was really important to kind of acknowledge some of the negative emotions that come at Christmas too, because I feel like, especially a Hallmark movie, but you know, even a lot of Christmas books are so slapstick and silly and like joy overload and very tropey. And I think that for myself and, but I think for a lot of people too, the holiday can also have a lot of sadder emotions with it too. And so I really wanted Mm -hmm. to find a way to honor that. But the whole premise of the book was like, what if these people had a tradition that they thought was better? So it was always going to be fun because it wasn't that they were coming from a place that they felt that there was something lacking. But in order for them to be together, there had to be like those negative circumstances in their lives. So you're now a pro at talking about the book and being asked questions about the book. You've had events, you've had live events, you've had virtual events. What is the one thing or two things or three things, whatever you want, it's your podcast, uh, you wish you were asked about more when it comes to the book? 
Well, I appreciate that compliment. And I feel like now you know that that is not true because of how many times I've had to retake answers to these questions on this podcast. <laughs> I'm you're doing great. <laughs> having a lot of book two anxiety today. So I'm like in it. So I don't feel like an expert. But okay, the two things that I came up with is which Taylor Swift song best reflects this book or these characters? Oh, would you like classic. to know the answer? Obviously. Okay. Um, I think the song that best represents Hannah is This Is Me Trying. I feel like she's trying mm. really hard and it's not going <laughs> One great, of my favorites. She has One great, of my favorite songs. She has good intentions. Mm-hmm. And then Perfect. I think also a platonic reading of New Year's Day. The idea that I will be there with you for the not fun parts in addition to the fun and glamorous parts. I love that. Yeah. So that is one question. The other question, oh, so I I set this book in 2018 because I truly did not know how to deal with COVID or how books would deal with COVID. And somebody sent me this DM the other day. They were saying how much they enjoyed the book. And they were like, these characters have just really stuck with me. And I keep thinking of them as if they're real people in my life and like wondering how did they get through COVID? Did they watch Tiger King? Like, what are they doing now? And I was like, oh, that's really funny. Like how, because the book ends, the prologue is in July of 2019. So I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, how did they fare through COVID? What What do you think? Do you have any takes or? I have some ideas. I was going to say predictions. That's I have, really not I the have right some word. ideas. I think that David got really into to making sourdough bread. He was like really into the home cooking trends. I think that maybe him and Hannah fought a little bit more at the beginning, but like eventually found like it brought them closer staying home and and kind of being in this together. I don't think that they left the city. I think maybe he suggested that they go to Connecticut and she was like, we're not doing that. So I do think that they stuck <laughs> yeah. it out in the city. I think that Theo found some like rich person island. You know, he like used his money and him (laughs) and Finn went and had this kind of like low-key glamorous quarantine on, you know, Richard Branson's island or something. Oh, yeah. Where they were kind of just like living a great life, but not posting about it on Instagram because they didn't want it to, they didn't want to look insensitive. I think Priya had a really creative pandemic. And I think that she wrote a book during the pandemic, much like I did. And I think, I mean, unfortunately... (laughs) this book is written, so I don't want to give my fake character credit for writing a real book, but I think she wrote kind of the equivalent of like glossy by Marissa Meltzer, um, like <laughs> a glossier girl boss expose. Wow. So you haven't thought about this answer at all is what I'm, <laughs> is what I'm getting. Yeah. I mean, these, these people feel really real to me too. So everything you said makes sense given the characters. I think it's brilliant. Well, let's take a little ad break and then I want to hear the listener questions. This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. So the category of books that I always want to listen to as an audiobook are celebrity memoirs. I love when the celebrity narrates and by the end, I inevitably feel like they are my actual friend. And two that are topping my TBR right now are Minka Kelly's book, Tell Me Everything, and John Stamos's memoir, If You Would Have Told Me. Yeah, celebrity memoirs aren't usually my go-to genre, but I have to say that when I do read them, it is 
pretty much always without exception in the form of an audiobook. It's just the best way to hear someone's story, I think. I don't know a ton about Minka Kelly, for example, but I have seen her memoir tell me everything literally everywhere on Instagram stories, constantly on TikTok, just everywhere. So I am really looking forward to checking that one out personally. Yeah. So I don't have a huge affinity for Minka Kelly. Like I watched Friday Night Lights. I loved her in Euphoria, but I've heard her memoir is bonkers. She just had a really non-traditional childhood. Like I think her mom was a stripper. And so she grew up in strip clubs and she just has a lot of wild stories and I am here for it. And then with John Stamos, I obviously grew up watching Full House and I am really excited to hear his behind the scenes stories from that time. I kind of feel like it'll be like a warm, nostalgic hug. But then for some intrigue, I also saw this wild interview with him where he alludes to Tony Danza stealing his girlfriend, which I think that story is in his memoir. And this is the kind of ultimate low stakes celebrity beef that I am here for. That sounds delightful. So both of these audiobooks, If You Would Have Told Me by John Samos and Minka Kelly's book, Tell Me Everything, are from Macmillan and they are available wherever books and audiobooks are sold. So let's get into some listener questions. There are quite a few and I'm really just looking forward to hearing your answers to them. Uh, So first we have a question from listener Mary Beth. Hey, Becca and Olivia, this is Mary Beth calling. I've been a longtime listener and what a delight to have a book club that is Becca's book. I wanted to ask a specific question about how Becca decided to kind of insert the specific pop culture references in the flashback scenes and specifically kind of how they related to the character. I'm thinking about people's jobs, uh, the music that Hannah was listening to, the places that they went. I'm sure some of it was kind of Googling, maybe some of it was personal, but what was that process like? Because I thought that was really some lovely touches throughout the book. Love the book and thanks. So I feel like the prevailing wisdom is that it's bad form to include pop culture references in books. I like pop culture references in books. And I I also kind of like when they're a little dated too. I feel like it timestamps the book of like when it is Because I feel like culture now is changing so quickly. I don't feel like even something from three years ago would feel a little dated. I don't know. So I like when there's pop culture references in books. And for me, because this book covers 11 years, I found the pop culture really helpful to kind of ground us in when in time we were. So in the first chapter, when they're in college, it takes place in 2000 seven or 2008. And so I, I really liked thinking about like what kind of music she would be listening to and that she would be torrenting songs instead of buying them because, you know, it costs 99 cents to buy them from the iTunes store because Spotify doesn't exist yet. So I I really liked that. I will say a lot of her music taste was my music taste from that era. So I gave them a lot of that from people's jobs. I don't know. They kind of just all came into play naturally. Like Hannah was obsessed with music. So I knew she worked at a radio station at one point, but then where would she have moved to? And it kind of made sense that she would move to podcasts. And it was something that I didn't have to do a lot of research about. Priya worked at Glossier. I never worked at Glossier, but I worked in startups at that time. So I felt like it was something that was really aspirational, but I knew enough about. And then with Finn, it was like, he wanted to be an actor 
But then what would he do if he couldn't make it? So he kind of worked on the other side of that. So yeah, I don't know. A lot of the New York and music nostalgia was my own. But then a lot of the rest of it was just made up to kind of fit the character. And trust me, like I shared a few times during writing these books, some of the things that I Googled, but I constantly have like a hundred tabs open with so many random Googles. Like I wouldn't say that I did research for this book and that I didn't have one-on-one research conversations with experts on certain topics, but I certainly went down a lot of weird Google rabbit holes. (laughs) I loved it personally. So we have another question asking about Theo and Finn's relationship timeline. Hi, Becca and Olivia. This is Natalia from Houston. I'm a longtime listener. I've been very excited to read Becca's book, and it did not disappoint. I loved it all so much, from character development to specific details. However, my question for Becca is, I'm just wondering what the process was on Theo and Finn. Like, did you go back and forth? Or at least have a thought process of Finn and Theo not ending up together. I had made my peace with them going their separate ways, though I do love them coming together after all. So I'm I'm just so curious on the process with these two. Thank you both for all you do. Have a great day. Bye. So it's so funny because I always knew that they were going to end up together, but I knew it wasn't going to be until the very last moment. I feel like they had the most traditional romance story in the book because Hannah and David are already together when the book starts and we don't get to see a lot of their courtship because it happened outside of Christmas. And in the past, the only chapters that we're seeing are Christmases. So Theo and Finn were like the true meet cute romance of this novel. And so I always knew that they had to end up together. And I really liked that their kind of character flaws were in opposition. So, you know, Theo thinks that people are only using him for his money and that nobody actually wants him. And Finn thinks that he's not good enough. And so the two of them aren't communicating their feelings because of their fears. And, you know, so it takes a while for them to actually get together. But I always knew that they were going to come together. There was a more simple version of the ending on the first draft. So, I started the first draft in December of 2020. I said I wanted to finish it by the end of 2021. And I wrote a lot of it from like October to December of 2021. And by the end, I was tired and I wanted to be done. And I was consulting and I wanted to take the week off between Christmas and New Year's so that I could like not work. And so I really mailed in the ending. And so there was a much simpler ending where basically they leave the hospital, they go to Connecticut. And David's there. And like Hannah and David just had a conversation at the house in Connecticut. And while they're having the conversation, Finn and Theo are in the car kind of watching, but they can't hear what's going on. And they declare themselves to each other and it was just fine. And it just felt too simple. Like it just felt like it wrapped up too easily. So I knew that that ending wasn't right when I wrote it, but always both couples were going to end up together. And we have another question about Theo from Annie. Hi, Becca and Olivia. My name is Annie and I'm from upstate New York. I'm a big fan of the podcast and really love the Christmas Workman's Club. It was such a fun book to kick off my Christmas reading this year. 
A book with a group of friends can be hard to effectively develop each of the characters, but I thought you did a really fantastic job and gave them each their own individual sense of self. I personally loved Theo the most and just had so much fun anytime he was on the page reading about him. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your inspiration was for his character, if he was based on someone you know, someone famous, or something else entirely. Thanks so much. Bye. (laughs) So the inspiration for Theo was probably Chuck Bass. So your close personal friend, my close personal friend, the fictional character, Chuck Bass. So I was thinking of what are the different reasons that somebody might be alone on Christmas? And so Hannah has dead parents. Finn is estranged from his family because he came out and they are not supportive of that. Priya is Hindu and doesn't celebrate Christmas. So she, you know, wouldn't be with her family because it's not a holiday for her. And I was like, what if the idea of somebody whose parents just weren't that into parenting. And I was kind of thinking of Chuck Bass's relationship with his parents that they're just like super wealthy and they would rather do other things and travel and whatever. And they just like weren't super into parenting. And so, you know, raised by nannies, went to boarding school. And then as an adult just kind of like exists and everyone would think that he has this like idyllic, glamorous life, but he's lacking a lot of connection. And so that was kind of the original inspiration. And hopefully he's gone on to become his his own person. I now have like a knot in my stomach that somebody's going to be like, oh yeah, you just like ripped off Chuck Bass. <laughs> no. But yeah, that was the original inspiration. <laughs> Theo was also so fun to write because I feel like Theo had no rules because he was so rich that he would kind of come onto the page and do anything. And so he, first of all, he was really fun because he could have any idea and just make it happen. But then also if I got into like a jam, Theo was a really convenient way to get out of them. A jam in like plot, I could just be like, well, and then, and then we do this. (laughs) Yeah. I loved it. There's one line that I, I can't remember the exact line. I think it's about Theo. I underlined it, but it was something, it was really funny. And it was about how like, he'll like something just because of it's it's expensive or I'm obviously oh, no, not doing it justice. Oh, damn it. That anyway, <laughs> it, it made me think of that. And I really like that line. I feel like Finn is definitely a little upwardly mobile and likes nice things, even if he mm-hmm. like can't afford them. And so, yeah, well, I guess that makes sense because Theo is like unfazed by it all because it's yeah. just like he's grown up with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, shout out to that line. Okay. So next we have a very fun question about uh, giving the Christmas Orphans Club as a gift, which you all should. Hi, Becca and Olivia. Um, so I'm calling about the Christmas Orphans Club, but I don't think I got that right. Uh, anyways, I'm going to see if you were going to bring this to like a book club white elephant and gift the book to somebody, what would you pair with it? Thanks. Oh my gosh. Yes. I think this would make such a good white elephant gift. I'm so glad that you're thinking about this. Okay. I don't know what your price limit is. So I have a few different ideas. So I feel like the first thing that would go really well with it is a bottle of champagne, which is Theo's signature beverage in this book. So if you're in an expensive white elephant, like get a bottle of Vouv and put that in with it. Slightly more moderately priced, I would say either a tin of peppermint bark, which has nothing to do with the book, but I always really like it the holidays, or a tin of the Godiva hot chocolate mix, which I think is the best hot chocolate mix. So I think either of those would be like a very seasonally festive accompaniment to the book. And, you know, we're giving them a lot of marketing here, but I think a cockmark is funny. 
<laughs> and the initials of this book are COC, which also has to do with a plot point in the book. So it's kind of self-referential too. That's true. That's very smart. I know I've told this story on the podcast, but I'll say it again because it it fits in here. For years, while I was writing this book in 2021 and 2022, I had a two-hour block on my calendar from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. every day that just said COC. And at the time, I was doing rom-com pods with <laughs> Rachel and then the podcast with Grace, and both of them could see my calendar. And at one point, because I don't think I had told people the name of the book, I can't remember who, I, maybe Rachel, somebody was like, what is this like daily dick appointment that you have on your calendar? <laughs> like it just said COC, nothing else every day. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So it's also like kind of an inside joke with myself. Okay. So we have a question from Kate next about Hannah and David. Hi, Becca and Olivia. My name is Kate. I love the book, but one thing I'm curious about is that when I was reading, I initially kind of thought that Hannah and David weren't going to end up together. Like I kind of thought that he was set up to be the the nice guy that she wants to love, but doesn't end up um, like feeling like it's right to end up with, especially with like some of her uncertainty about their future. So I'm curious if anyone else thought that or if I totally misread that. Thank you guys. I struggled mightily with David's characterization. He was so floppy in earlier drafts of the book, and I couldn't figure out. I remember having like such a breakdown and calling my agent and being like, what is David's job? He went through a lot of jobs before becoming who he was. He was probably my biggest struggle to write. And I totally see where you're saying that he was like the nice guy that like you don't end up with. And I feel like I really liked the idea that the woman is more complicated and messy and the guy is just a good guy and maybe they're not communicating well. Like I really like the idea of exploring women who are not chasing a ring and are not so marriage minded or, you know, maybe don't know if they want to get married or don't know if they want to have kids. I think that's so underrepresented. I think it's getting more normal, but, you know, I feel like if you think back to like the Christmas movies of the aughts and of the teens, like so many of them are about a woman who's like single and sexless in the city and needs to like move to a small town and like find a guy to marry. And like, I kind of like the idea of the woman in a Christmas book being like, I have this great boyfriend, but I'm not sure if I want to get married. There was something that got cut at some point about Hannah not being sure about kids either, but it felt like maybe they were too far apart. And so that ended up getting Mm. cut. But I really liked the idea of her being kind of complicated and standing in her own way rather than them having some kind of larger problem. And I think I can only get away with this because it was a B plot. I think if this were like, an A plot, you would, there would need to be more to their romance. But because it was the B plot and the friendship was kind of the main plot, I feel like I was able to squeak it in. But now I also feel like I'm showing everyone my dirty laundry of like, here's all the things that are kind of wrong with this book that you're like, you're correctly <laughs> noticing. <laughs> no, I, I get that you're feeling that way, but I'm sure no one, no one is thinking that. Okay, we have another question from Hannah uh, who asks about 
how you sort of foreshadowed the, the big fight that happens towards the end of the book. Hi, Becca and Olivia. This is Hannah from Washington State, and I love Becca's book, The Christmas Orphans Club. And I wanted to call in for the podcast and ask a few questions. Um, did you always know how the ending would work out, like romantic relationships wise, and that it would be a happy ending? And how did you decide that the readers could know about Hannah and Finn's fight early on in the book instead of it being a big surprise? Thanks. Love the podcast. Bye. I said that I knew that Finn and Theo would end up together, that Hannah and David would end up together, that Hannah and Finn would be friends again, but I didn't quite know how it would happen. And so I discovered that through writing and editing the book. And at the beginning, in earlier drafts, their fight was alluded to more obliquely. And my agent, Allison, was really the one who encouraged more hinting at that something went down. And I think now that she said this to me and I see it all the time in books, like I feel like Every Summer After by Carly Fortune is like laced through with like, it keeps dropping hints about like the horrible thing I did, the horrible thing that is unforgivable. And like by the end, you're like, it's why you keep turning pages. You're like, what the fuck did you do? So I feel like, you know, saying that there was a fight, but not what the fight is about was not something like I thought it would be giving it away too much, but I'm really glad that Allison pushed me to do that and to like hint at it more. So the final question is from an English teacher named Sarah, which is kind of fun. Hi, Becca and Olivia. I'm Sarah and I'm from Virginia. I love the podcast. I finished listening to your book yesterday. I had to do the audio version. I'm an English teacher. And so sometimes as a teacher, it's easier to listen to a book than read it. I found your book so charming and heartwarming and, you know, sad in some parts, of course, but Overall, I thought it was wonderful, and I just have a few questions. Were the characters based on anyone from your real life? Because I kind of just was, like, getting feelings, like, maybe this, maybe Becca had some friends like this in college. I don't know. And then um, the writing process, you make it seem so easy because the book just flowed so beautifully from one chapter to the next. And as an English teacher, maybe I can impart some knowledge onto my middle school students about your writing process and how you went about it. Anyway, um, love the podcast and thanks. Bye. So I feel like this has been the most common question if the characters are based on anyone in my real life. And the answer is yes and no. So yes, I have a really close group of friends from college who are some of my very best friends. And I feel like it's a really special relationship to have these super long-term friendships from high school or college or younger when somebody has known you through so many phases of your life and has known you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I feel like also that you've spent so much time together in a way that's really hard to spend that many hours together as adults when you have responsibilities. So I feel like the idea of this friend group was inspired by friends that I have, but the specifics were not. I have a best friend named Peter who is also gay. His family is very supportive of him being gay. He got married when we were 25. So, you know, he is in no way Finn. But I was really interested in exploring the relationships between a straight woman and a gay man in a way that didn't feel like kind of some of the stereotypical 
brunch, makeover, you slut, like, hey, girlfriend stuff that you see, I guess, especially in movies. And I hadn't seen that type of friendship portrayed in a book. So, you know, I think some of the feelings are inspired by real relationships, but like my Finn in real life is like very different than Finn on the page. And then, you know, Theo, I said, is inspired by Chuck Bass. Priya, I feel like Priya was more so created as a foil to Hannah. You know, she was somebody who had a more secure familial relationship. She had other friends outside of this friend group. She was probably just like more well-adjusted generally. And she was also girlier and more fun and, and kind of the diametric opposite of Hannah, but still kind of somebody that Hannah loved and was like a ride or die for. And I love the idea too, because I feel like there's so many friendships that are, I guess not anymore, but born of like random Craigslist roommate situations where you're like, who is this person? So Priya, I think Priya is definitely a type of girl that I know in New York, but she isn't specifically one person and more so is somebody who is meant to bring out more of Hannah's lightness and positivity and be like the person who believed in true love and was pointing out when Hannah was fighting with David or, you know, when she was dragging her feet, like, why wouldn't you want this? And, you know, she just comes from such a different familial situation and a different outlook on life that she was kind of somebody who saw things maybe the opposite of the way Hannah saw them. I was also really afraid when I was writing this book that somebody would be like, Becca and Hannah, are the same person. And I don't know why, but I was like really annoyed by that idea. And now I don't care. You know, I'm like, I don't care if you think I'm this person. And then like, I, I have dead parents. I have a podcast. I don't know that we're super similar, but if you want to think we are, like, that's fine. I don't know. But I had a, like a real big, weird hang up about it while I was writing the book. And like, I feel like I just, the more drafts I wrote and the deeper I got into the book, like the more love I had for her. And I was like, I don't care if you think I'm her. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you think it was just like a sense of like, you don't know me kind of thing? Like this idea of, I mean, no one likes the idea that someone would assume who you are, you know, like your personality or your experience. Or do you think it was just too personal and you didn't like that? Or just that people would be wrong? Look, I think we have some shared biographical details. I think she is more of a pessimist than I am. I think that she has a different outlook on life than I do. Like, I feel like in the book, she has like a real scarcity mindset around not being able to invest in new relationships because she's afraid of letting go of old ones, which I I don't think I have. I don't know. I think also because during various drafts, people were really critical of Hannah. I was like, oh, well, I don't want people to like, not like me. I mm. don't know. I I can't fully explain the neurosis but I, I can tell you that I've fully gotten over it. Cool. Do you have any of that with like your book that. of people thinking that you're the main character because it's an influencer? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I mean, well, it's a bit different because majority of it is told from someone who isn't an influencer, from her sister. So that was interesting because I was able to sort of write about how I feel about influencers as a consumer of the internet and also being on the other side. But yeah, I mean, I think the thing about it is like, I feel like when you write a book, inevitably your life experiences and your personality go into it in some form, but no one can read that book and then know you and, you know, from start to finish. So 
I get it. There's like an anxiety of like, oh, people might read this and think, oh, that's about her or that's similar to her. And that might be true, but that doesn't mean the rest of it is also the case. Yeah. Writing a book is weird. It is. It's it's, you're really putting yourself out there. I feel really nervous for this episode now. I hope that people like it. And I hope this was interesting. I like I feel like I'm wearing my skin inside out right now. I think people will love it. I mean, just based on these voicemails and the messages and everything, I think it's an intense thing from start to finish. It is intense. Emotionally, it's intense. Personally, it's intense. Financially, professionally. I mean, everything. It's been really rewarding in a way that I don't think I fully could comprehend when I was writing it to have people read it, experience something that you made up in your head and reflect that back to you, either by saying that they loved it or that they related to it in some way. It's like really powerful. And then also just seeing how far and wide it's spread and especially internationally, like somebody DM me over the weekend that they saw it in Finland. It's not even published in Finland. And I was like, this is wild. So I'm so grateful to everyone who has read it and especially to everyone who has shared it or pushed it on other people or bought it as a gift for people. And I feel like also the podcast element of people feeling like they've been there for this whole book and that they're proud is like a really intense feeling too. Like, it, like I kind of just feel like a puddle of mush in well, a good way. I was about to say, we're all very proud of you and you should be proud of yourself too. Um, I feel like right now, things like really started to pick up too with people reading it. Like I feel like I couldn't keep up with social media tags over the weekend and Goodreads ratings were going up so much faster than they had been. So I feel like December is going to be a whirlwind. And then I feel like in January, I'm going to need to like sit down and process all of this. Then it's on to the next thing. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Well, let's get into some end matter and you can talk about something that is not you know, your most precious creation in this world. Thank you. Uh, What are you obsessed with? You influenced me. So I feel like I'm just, you know, a few weeks, months behind you on everything, trying to be you. First, you talk about short hair. I cut my hair short. Soon you will be wearing an all red sweatsuit that resembles what Tim Allen wore in the Santa Claus, although that's gray, but it's the same feeling. Anyway, we're just a hop, skip and a jump from that. (laughs) Um, And then I feel like a few months ago, you talked about wanting a tennis necklace and I treated myself and I bought a tennis necklace because I don't know if it was since you mentioned it or... You bought the right one though, the actual fancy one. I bought the $15 Amazon one that I have never worn because it feels like it's going to give me a rash, which it probably will. I feel like Grace has been talking about them, but I just, (laughs) I, it bubbled over. I needed it. So I bought a tennis necklace from Dorsey, which is a company that makes lab grown diamonds and sapphires which makes it less expensive. I'm, I'm not really sure about all the particulars of it. So I bought, it's called the Moss Tennis Necklace, which is kind of the smaller stoned one. I'm really into it. It was a medium splurge. It was like $420, which I didn't think was wild compared to how much, you know, whatever the opposite of lab-grown diamonds are cost. And I really like it. Did you get like it on it. sale? A Black Friday deal or no, something? No, they, they don't do any sales apparently. Oh, So Hmm. it was full price. I was looking at this the other day and it was sold out. So you might have gotten it. Well, you know what? It's not sold out in. It is not sold out in the 18 inch, which is the longest length. Grace recommended, you know, cutting a string to figure out what length you needed. 
And I didn't realize that I had a large neck that I needed to be self-conscious of, but um, apparently I have a very large neck. And so like the 18 inch was the size I needed and it was like the only one in stock. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's good to know. So I'll maybe you too have helpful. a large neck and maybe oh, it I definitely is do. Stock. There's no way I'm walking around in this body with a somehow small neck. Like <laughs> it's like six foot tall, but also small neck. No. <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. I'm so into it. I'm really into like a layered necklace look. I can just feel fancy and like really stylish when I wear it. I might copy you if I ever... Well, I feel like I copied you. my credit card. <laughs> well, it'll, you know, it, it's the gift that... Soon we're just going to have us. like the same haircut, the same sweatsuit, the same <laughs> fake diamond tennis necklace. And we're just going to like merge into like the blonde and brunette version of each other. Ying and yang. That's us. What's yours? Uh, mine is these flameless taper candles I got. I found these really cute brass sconces. Yeah. That feels like a word that should just be like deer. You know, just sconce. Anyway. Mm, I agree. <laughs> anyway, I found these candle holders that I thought would go perfectly in our bedroom. But I was like, I am not lighting taper candles at night in my bedroom. I will fall asleep. The house will burn down. Yeah. I will perish. So uh, I got these off of Amazon. They're like are meant to look real. And I think they actually really do. And I have a remote. I have them downstairs now. It's like our only sort of festive decoration. I really love them. It, they bring me so much joy. Sweet. Are these... Christmas window candles or sconce candles or both? No, they're just taper candles. So like you could put them in tapered candles. Yeah, I guess you could put them in like any candle holder. That's okay. like, you know, the circle. So they're multifunctional. Um, but no, they don't, they don't stand on their own. Like okay. they need a holder. Okay. Or like a, you could put them in like a chandelier, I'm sure, or something that's built for candles. I'm excited kind of to see the show notes for this one because I'm not sure that I'm picturing this correctly. Oh, really? It's just like a... I mean, you've seen like the fake candles that are like the pillar candles or whatever. I'm picturing like a Christmas candle that goes in a window. It kind of looks like that, except you can put it in a candle holder. Like Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure you're picturing it right. I'm not, but I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm also <laughs> excited. Have you shared it on Instagram yet? What it looks like in your scones? I have. Oh, well, then I missed it. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I need to be more obsessed with you. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> oh, speaking of obsessions, tell me what you read. Oh, man. Okay, so I finished this a uh, while ago. It's been kind of a bit since we recorded, but I read Talking at Night by Claire Daverly. And I think you read this a while ago when you were like, you'll love this book. And I was probably just like, I have a million books. I'll get to it when I get to it. Oh my God, I love this book. I love this book so much. This is, um, gosh, I don't even know. This is kind of like a star-crossed lovers kind of... <laughs> kind of romance. It's like on the more literary side, I would say that interests you. But oh my God, is this book beautiful? I was like swept up. I felt like I, I, I actually messaged the author and told her this, but I was like, I literally feel like I experienced every emotion of falling in love. I was like the adrenaline, the heartbreak, the pain. Oh my gosh. I love this book. It just, I feel it in my soul. I loved it so much. It's so beautiful. You liked it? Oh, I, I loved it. it. I loved it. Yeah. I'm, I'm like smiling at you like a dope right now because I'm so happy that you loved it so much and I'm so happy and vindicated <laughs> that I predicted that you would like it. Like there's nothing that makes yes. me happier than matchmaking somebody with a book. Yes, you were totally right. Oh my God, I loved it so it's much. It's so good. It's so I like want to reread it. I, the way I was just like in this story. Anyway, I could talk about it forever. But uh, anyway, what have you read? So I read Love Light Farms by B.K. Borison, which is 
kind of a Christmas book. It's set at a Christmas tree farm, but it's more at Thanksgiving and it's not super Christmassy. It is adorable. So this is one of those books that was self-published and then got picked up by a big five publisher and re-released. And I feel like it came out in like the spring. Like It came out at a weird time where it was on my radar, but I was like, no, I don't want to read this in June. And so finally I was like, now is the time. And I bought it and I loved it. So it's a It's like a best friends to lovers, fake dating romance about this woman who buys a Christmas tree farm in her hometown and it's uh, harder to run than she expected. And they're like in all kinds of financial trouble. And she enters this contest for an influencer. It's basically like a, you know, like an HGTV thing to be spotlighted. Mm -hmm. And so the influencer comes to the farm and in her application, she had said that she owns it with her boyfriend. So she has to pretend to be dating her best friend. It's really sweet. And it's a Christmas book that was really Christmassy, but didn't feel too saccharine, which is my problem with a lot of Christmas books. Mm -hmm. So I ended up really enjoying this. And it's definitely like, you know, there's like, steamy scenes like it's like a straight down the line romance that sounds great it is great it's really really hallmark movie yeah that's exactly what it is (laughs) perfect yeah and it had like some of those really delightful tropes in it too but it was done really well oh fun well that sounds very nice for christmas also like you could listen to christmas tree farm and a bubble i hate that song taylor i hate that song it's a little speaking of saccharine but i mean hey she grew up on a Christmas tree farm. She I did. It's her birthday to, to write her. that song. You got to do it. Anyway, that concludes this episode. Uh, if you... No, wait, is there more? Well, no, I was going to say, I don't know if we've told people yet. If you've been here a while, you already know this. We take the last two weeks of the year off. We're actually taking the first week of January off too, just because of how it falls with Olivia's travel schedule. So we don't have a December book club. So we just have two episodes of the year left. We're going to do a best of 2023 episode next week and then our best books of the year the week after. And we'll be back on January 10th with our New Year's intentions episode. So no book club for this month, but we have our best books of the year episode coming, which is always very popular. And if you want to talk to us about any of this, you can always talk to us about the Christmas Orphans Club, of course. Always. We can chat in the Facebook group if you want. It's Bad on Paper Podcast or on Instagram, also Bad on Paper Podcast or on Geneva, which is also, you guessed it, Bad on Paper Podcast. I think that's all. I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And if for some reason you listen to this whole episode and you haven't purchased the Christmas Orphans Club, I am confused. But listen, now is your your moment. Go buy it from wherever you buy books. And seriously, thank you to everyone for the support. I I feel like I can't even adequately express my gratitude. It's been so overwhelming in the best possible way. Bye, everyone. Bye.